Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, DM Ian. And I'm your other host, DM Mitch. And today, we are going to be talking about the Naga. Yeah, we are returning to our Raw Real Monsters episode, and we put up on our Patreon Dragon Only forum, what would you guys like to hear us talk about, and you guys voted for the Naga. So today, we are talking... About the Naga. About the Naga. But before we do that, Ian, we have some five-star reviews. Why don't you start that off for us? Of course, we have another five-star review from a, uh, a gentleman named The Heavy Metal GM, entitled More Than Expected. As a guy who's not much of an advocate for D&D, I genuinely was surprised by how much I was able to pull from this podcast. Having many minds is always better than one, and these guys hammer that idea home. This podcast bleeds creativity and great ideas with some brilliant people to back it up. Verdict, metal. <laughs> Thanks so much, Heavy Metal GM. We really appreciate the review. Our next one comes from DM Troy and is entitled, It's Given Me Tons of Material. This podcast has been great. I've gotten a lot of great ideas from DMs Mitch and Chris. My favorite episodes are Creation and Inspiration's Top 10s. Yes, those are great episodes. Storytime keeps me entertained. You guys have me laughing out loud many times. Fantastic. Keep it up. Make mine marvel. I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. Thanks, DM Troy. Yeah, thank you so much. And with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. All right, so like we said at the beginning of this episode, today we are returning to our Raw Real Monster series, and we are going to focus on the Naga. So let's talk a little bit about, to begin with, the origin of the Naga. Yeah, it's always a good place to start. So the Naga, for those of you who don't know what they are, these snake-like beings who were created as guardians for a long-forgotten humanoid race. Nobody knows who they were. Nobody knows how they created the Naga. All that's known is that the Naga were created by these people, and they were created as immortal beings. That is, of course, the lore that is set for them in 5e, because if you go back a couple editions, it is it is known, or at least it is said, who created them. But I'm not sure if it's going to be a race that the guys at D&D for 5e will be looking at. So now, a long-forgotten race. <laughs> <laughs> and like Ian said, they are, if you don't know what they are, they are these large, snake-like creatures, kind Kind of human-ish like looking faces and it kind of goes along with the snake-like creation because although we are not sure who it is that created them in the first place some do say that the yuntai another serpent-like race helped in the creation of the naga yeah so the the naga themselves we we said earlier that they were created as guardians they were created to protect the possessions of their creators those treasures took the the forms of powerful tomes gold precious items even even fortresses and they were basically created with the intent of hey you know i've got this great treasure this vast holding and i need a guardian i need a watchdog and so what better than a giant immortal snake Better than a dog, I guess. <laughs> and so what happened was, like we said, their creators 
their the race that created them, they died out. And so after they died out, the Naga saw themselves as the rightful heirs to all of their master's treasures. So if you're to come across a Naga, where you're going to find them is they're going to be living in the ruins of long-forgotten cities or castles or fortresses, presumably places that the long-forgotten race that created them used to live. Yeah, and, and you know, they, they're very territorial. They're very possessive. Uh, they the use, stuff's theirs now. <laughs> yeah, it's theirs. You know, they don't want to They don't want to share. They don't want any adventurers coming in and messing with their stuff because the likelihood is whatever they're guarding is highly valuable. And they're almost very dragon-esque in the way that hmm. they protect yeah. their their loot stash. Uh, so they use magical wards and traps to keep out intruders, and they rarely, if ever, go outside the bounds of their domain unless it's to collect more treasure. More treasure or more powerful artifacts, yeah. Yeah. When we mention that they were immortal beings, like, this is the true sense of immortal. Like, Naga are really interesting when it gets down to their immortality. So, first of all, like you would expect, the Naga, they never age because they're immortal. Uh, they never get sick, so sicknesses, forget it. You cannot make a Naga sick. Beyond that, they have no need for air, so you're not going to be able to strangle a Naga by putting him somewhere that there's no oxygen. They have no, or be able to drown him. They have no need for food, for drink. You can't, like, starve them to death. And they have no need for sleep. So if you think you're going to go into a Naga's lair while they're sleeping and sneak past them, forget about it. That's not going to happen. But the most, the most important and the most fascinating part about a Naga's immortality is that if a Naga is struck down, their spirit lingers on and it will reform into a new body in a matter of days. I think when it comes to 5e, it's 1d6 days and it just comes back. So so if you think you're going to bring that half that treasure back to town because it only fits in your wagon and then come back and just walk in like, hey, we killed the Naga, it's fine. Guess what? That Naga's going to jump down from the ceiling on you and kill you. If it hasn't already come after you for taking its treasure in the <laughs> first place. True. Very true. I suppose that would be a good reason for it to venture out. Uh, the other thing that's really important to know about Naga is that they interact with other people. Uh, Whoever is within the holdings of their domain living there, they are the absolute ruler over any subjects that, that live there. Uh, and, and based on their alignment, that can be a, a compassionate rule. Or that can be an extremely cruel rule, depending on which type of Naga it is, what their alignment is like, what their overall goal is, and then what they want to accomplish with the time and the power that they have, because they're always scheming. Yeah, but it doesn't matter what alignment or how their rule is, whether compassion or cruel, the the main point is Naga are more than natural leaders. They take charge. That's who they are. They're going to be the leaders over their domain. And if you live there, you are there under their watch. Absolutely. They're also, beyond the fact that they have a dangerous poison bite to them, because, you know, snakes, of course they would be. Uh, they're also powerful spellcasters. Nagas are known more for than their bite. They can cast some really powerful spells. And that comes along with the fact that they're so intelligent and that they bar themselves up in these ruins and like Ian said like they are constantly scheming and plotting constantly studying magic tomes and learning new spells new wards they are powerful spellcasters so we talked about the Yunti earlier and the rivalry that 
they have with the Naga. And the, they both view themselves as the highest form of serpentine evolution. So if you're talking about, you know, the Yuntai, if you don't know what those are, uh, they're in the Monster Manual as well. You can take a look at them. They're kind of like Gorgon-esque almost, kind of that half-snake, half-human They're interesting breed. because they're really they cool. have num- uh, numerous types of forms. They do. They have forms that look pretty much human, except for like their eyes, their pure Yuntai's. They have, like you said, the Gorgon, like you have the Yuntai's that are snake heads, snake body, but arms with like these swords usually. And then they have ones that are human bodies but snake heads and a, a bunch of other variants some of which you can find in the fantastic book of volo's guide to monsters yes highly recommend that book they always find themselves at odds with the yuntai there are times though despite the rivalry that the yuntai have with the naga that they will work together toward a common goal but the yuntai absolutely hate it so that there's an interesting story hook there if your characters ever run into naga and yuntai working together well, it makes sense because the Yuntai that are going to be working with the the Naga are going to be working with Naga that are probably evil, and their rulership is going to be under that category of cruelty. <laughs> so working for those Naga is never going to be fun. So now we're going to talk about some of the specific types of Nagas. We're going to take a deeper look into the four main types of Naga, and then we're going to just maybe talk... A, we're going to talk about the four main types of Naga. And so we're going to start off by talking about the Dark Naga. Now, the Dark Naga is a Naga that has dark blue or purple scales all over its body. It also is distinguishable by its large barbed stinger at the end of its tail. And of course, that barbed stinger has to be poisonous. And it has a very human-like face. They are lawful evil in alignment, so no good feelings there. And they like to fight out of reach, especially using elevated positions or using their minions in battle. So basically, these Naga would set themselves up on a hill or up in a tower, and they would be using their minions to fight their enemies in a battle, and they would be far above the reach of any of their foes, casting spells down, shouting down orders... Protecting themselves while their minions, who they are the absolute rulers over, would be dying for their every will. You know, I wonder if that barbed stinger at the end of the tail is something they can throw. Hmm. Like, shoot barbs, like shoot barbs from. I mean, if it's not, that's like, that's your job as a DM, right? To make it to into make something it that, that can shoot barbs out of its tail. That'd be pretty cool. Be pretty terrifying, though. The next type of Naga is known as a spirit Naga. Now, this Naga is has black scales and patterns of red on its body. Yeah, spirit Nagas also like to live their lives seeking out revenge against those who have wronged them or who they think have wronged them. It's not a good thing to piss off a spirit Naga. Like, this is the kind of thing that can draw, I feel like, a lot of plot in your story is yeah. you would you can set up this encounter where your your heroes go into a the ruins of an old city and they encounter this giant snake and they bring that snake down. They chop its head off and it is dead and it crumbles into ash, and they collect this magical artifact or maybe much treasure from this, and they're off. They, they leave, and they think it's all done. But in a couple days, 
that spirit naga comes back from the dead and spirit nagas like you just said ian are specifically going to be out for revenge so this is maybe one of those times where a naga would leave the comfort of its its home especially right. if its most powerful artifacts or treasure have been taken from it. And so I, I like that because there's not a lot of monsters that you take down in the wilds that will track you back down and take you out, especially after you've killed it. That's the big thing. Yeah, well, killed it in air quotes. Yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. You know, the the thing that, that's terrifying about them too is that they seek to dominate and charm their foes. I almost imagine, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Jungle Book, like the original Disney Jungle Ooh, Book. Oh, yeah. But Ka, he's totally snake, a spirit now. He's like, you know, <laughs> I'm doing this thing with my head right now where I'm like trying to charm Mitch with my eyes. No, it, it definitely. I'm it, charmed. <laughs> it has that effect to me, you know, the, the whole swirly eyes deal, yeah. you know, charming you to ultimately dominate you and possibly kill you. Uh, which is never good. Well, that's totally true. In in fifth edition, like it's primarily going to do that through the use of its spells, and that was something it had in older editions too. But in older editions, like three point five, it actually had an attack. What which was an eye attack, like it's it was a stare attack that it would charm you just by its stare. Very much like you'd think a cockatrice or a basilisk would do a, a petrification stare. It would do some sort of charm effect with its eyes, which really, I didn't even think about Jungle Book when I was reading up on these guys, but that's totally what this guy is. It's totally what Kai is. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I might even bring that back as a special ability if I were running a Naga in yeah. 5e, because, I mean, it's that's cool. A supernatural ability to charm person or dominate person that exists outside of its spell list and maybe then substitute something else in because that makes the Naga so unique, or at least the Spirit Naga. And unlike their cousin, the Dark Naga, the Spirit Naga face their foes head on with plans of charming them into submission. So they're going to come at your face. They're not going to try to hit you from far away. It doesn't say anything about in here about them using their, their minions to come after you. If you anger a spirit naga or if you walk into their lair, they are coming straight at you. Well, I'm sure part of that is because they want to turn you into one of their minions. Exactly. They want to stare you down or use their magic and charm you to the point where you are its minions. Or, I mean, naga do not need food or drink, but it says nothing about the fact that they don't want or like food. So they might charm you and be like, ah, this one's kind of skinny, kind of weak, Perhaps a snack. This one shall be a snack. And they just they just eat you afterwards with your friends there, charmed, watching and just being like, this guy's awesome as he eats you. <laughs> and then you're like, it's this classic snake. Like he swallows you whole. You're inside and you're inside charmed like this is great. <laughs> this is great. This is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other the other thing that is is sort of terrifying about them is that they can also speak. Yeah. So all, all of these all of them can, can speak, yes. and they speak different languages, of course, based on their alignment and things like that. But imagine this snake taunting you, much like Ka, or much like you know any of these other kind of horrible, like the Medusa things that can talk at you. They're going to be taunting you, and I imagine, especially as with his alignment of chaotic evil, sort of a Joker-like personality, something of that <laughs> nature, and lots of S's when they talk. Oh like, yes. like Mitch was doing earlier. Definitely. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's terrifying. Yeah, these guys are great. I'd love to use the Spirit Nagas in a campaign. And I think just like we were talking about earlier, it's that plotting for revenge. And the fantastic thing is, I mean, 
until I started to read up on the Naga, I did not know a lot about them. I didn't. Either. And as players, your players probably won't know a lot about them. And you don't need to say it's a Naga. You just describe it as this giant black scaled snake with red patterns down its side and perhaps let it say some things in abyssal or common to to your players. Like, And so they kill it and this thing comes back after them and they kill it again. And guess what? It's going to come back after them and they're going going to have to keep dealing with this thing and eventually they're going to be brought to the point where they're either going to have to try and figure out a way to end this thing for good which we will talk about later we will <laughs> or maybe they can just give the gold and treasure back although i feel like that wouldn't be enough for a spirit naga i feel like the spirit, the spirit naga would want that but would want more like revenge isn't about like getting even with the spirit naga. It's about getting that upper hand. And so it would not be enough, no, but I that's don't... a great enemy to keep bringing back and back and back and to frustrate your players by using the fact that they are truly immortal beings. Well, and, and ponder this fellow DMS, this thing never sleeps. It never has to eat. Oh, it never crazy. has to drink. Which and your so players do. <laughs> yeah. Which your players do. Unless, you know, and if you're playing with exhaustion rules, that even gets scarier yeah. as this thing is hunting down. I, I'm conjuring up images now of the mummy. I don't know if you guys they have move seen that at 40 movie. feet. They're they're faster than most of your players or your player characters are going to be. It's scary. This yeah, thing coming things- after you and wanting. I mean, the hardest thing for a spirit naga on your trail is going to be finding you. But I mean, this is a spirit naga that has charming abilities. It can charm a dog into sniffing you out. It can charge charm a dog trainer into helping it. It can like it can go and like say I'm going to bite your head off if you don't tell me which way these adventures go. Like I'm going to kill you. This thing has some things in its arsenal that are going to let it be able to find you well, eventually. It, it may have warded any valuable treasure and can find you that way exactly. I mean, it is it is does have spells. It is it's a, a sorcerer like yep, spellcast. So, yeah. All right, so the next one we're going to be talking about is the Water Naga. And based on its terrain, based on its domain, it could either have blue scales or green scales to match the water or whatever its natural domain is. And the thing that's cool about this is that it's got spines jutting up from its back uh, that stick up when agitated. So if you can imagine sort of like a snake gets agitated and you've got the like a, a rattlesnake has its rattler kind of gets yeah. its tackles up or a cat how it gets its tackles up yeah. you know when it gets agitated these spikes just come out of its back and it's probably very terrifying i thought of players. the those are great examples i also thought of the dinosaur from jurassic park that it's uh it's neck coil whatever yes. it is comes out when it's yes. about to attack and spit on you like and a lot of these nagas do have the classic cobra look so you could have that and the spikes coming up as well to give matt a shout out the the paleonomicon <laughs> those are called dilophosaurus there you go these things which i think this would definitely be different than the previous two naga that we talked about they're described as beautiful creatures uh you see a water naga and if you were to be able to see it from distance, you would probably think, wow, what a, a beautiful sight to see a snake like that. Um, however, <laughs> much like the previous Nagas, they are known to be bad-tempered, and they are known to be mischievous. Very Loki-ish. But they they tend to be more neutral in alignment, and so they will not usually attack to kill unless they do feel threatened if they feel like their life is their their quote-unquote life <laughs> is threatened they will then attack to kill 
Yeah, and, and I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Anaconda, but when I when I saw that we were doing Water Noggin, this is what I thought of. You know that that terrifying movie of about a snake that you know is massive and and hunting people down in, in a swamp. Much like that particular anaconda snake and anaconda snakes in in real life, they prefer to attack hidden underwater. They cast spells uh, that- from underwater, and they would attack you from underneath or from the side, somewhere where you're not going to see them coming from. If you enter their domain, they're going to know it. They're going to swim, stay hidden, and, and you might not you know that second. you've entered its domain because they they want to attack from underwater. That's that's their mischievous. You could very well be walking on a land bridge and being hit by spells and have no idea where it's coming from, what the source is, because, I mean, they're just, they're just ready to... They want you out of their lair. They don't care. And maybe they don't pop up out of the water with their spine jutting out of its back until you get a hit on them, which there has to be concealment rules. It's going to be harder to hit that thing because it blends in so well, which in itself is scary, and as a player, it would be frustrating not knowing where to shoot at when these spells are coming at me. Yeah, it, it would be yeah, especially frustrating if all of a sudden you're hit from whatever spell this thing casts. And like you said, you have no idea where it's come from. And you're like, what the heck? We're just taking a walk through. The, what is going on right now? So the next Naga that we're going to be talking about is known as the Guardian Naga. And I really like these guys. They are covered with green and gold scales on their body. And like the Water Naga, they would also be described as beautiful creatures. Unlike any of the Naga that we have previously talked about, however, the Guardian Naga is said to be both wise and good-natured. Unlike, I think, most of their cousins, they're not interested in just collecting and hoarding wealth like some of the other evil-aligned or maybe even the Water Naga. But they're, they're concerned with protecting sacred places, protecting powerful artifacts from falling into the wrong hands, you know, kind of world-ending type stuff if it falls into the wrong hands. It really goes along with their name. They, they're they guarding things that could do some real damage in the world, and they're guarding it because they're, they're good-natured and they're wise. Yes, and they are the kind of good counterpart of the Spirit Naga. They're always plotting ways to thwart their enemies, whether that's a rival you know, Spirit Naga or whether that's the Yuntai or whatever else. They're, they're planning ways to thwart their enemies in their goal of protecting that sacred ground. Except these are the ones you want to be constantly planning and plotting because they're out to protect good people and, and the world. So keep plotting, Guardian Nagas. We appreciate it. We really do. And unlike their, their counterparts, they don't go to seek out violence. So they, they try to deter their intruders, whoever comes in, with warnings and magical wards. They will actually like talk to you first. To kind of prevent you, you know, stay away, beware ye who enter here, all those kind of things. And they're only going to attack if the intruders persist in getting further in. So you might be a completely good party of characters or have a completely good party of characters who are trying to get at whatever the Naga is guarding because, you know, that's your MacGuffin. But the good guardian Naga is going to attack you to prevent you from getting the MacGuffin. You will know when a guardian Naga is angry at you because when it is angry, it raises up its chest in anger. So that's the point where you know, oh, I just pissed this guardian Naga off. I'm in trouble. Because although they don't seek out violence... That does not by any means mean that they are not powerful, that they are not poisonous, and that they are not going to have spells to cast if they want to cast spells. Yeah, they're still pretty scary. That almost kind of brings to mind the the image of a dragon breathing in. 
puffing <laughs> yeah. up its chest, yeah, getting like, ready to lay. I'm in trouble. I'm in deep trouble. Yeah. Uh. So those are the four main types of Nagas, the Dark, the Spirit, the Water, and the Guardian. Those are the Nagas that are most common and you would most find out in your world. However, we did want to hit on two other Naga, and there are more, so if you're interested, go ahead and do a search for Naga D&D on Google, and you'll find a bunch of different types of Naga. Uh, but two that we did want to just point out here, because they are really interesting, and you can use them in your games, are, first of all, the Bone Naga. The Bone Naga does appear in your 5th edition Monster Manual, and it's exactly what you would think. It's just a skeleton version of a Naga, and... Unlike the Naga, though, these you would see fighting any sort of Naga themselves because they are not in control of themselves. The Bone Naga is a Naga that has become the victim of a powerful necrotic ritual that the Yuntai have developed over the centuries of their hatred for the Naga, which interrupts the resurrection process and brings them back back as the skeletal form of a naga. Yeah, and what like what Mitch said, it's extremely scary because they're not they're not under their own control anymore. It could have been a good guardian naga, a water naga. I mean it could yeah. really be any type of naga, but it could be it could be truly sad because it could be this guardian naga that was there to do good in the world and they got overtaken by the Yuntai. Yeah, so unlike their counterparts, if you actually manage to beat a bone naga once you defeat it, you defeat it. It's lost its, its immortality. Yeah. It's not coming back. And they have lost a lot of their spell casting capabilities. So you're not going to have to worry about really as, as as a DM pulling from big big spell lists or anything like that. It's very Or limited. players or being players cast being, upon. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. So, you know, the, the Bone Nog is a, a good creature to kind of throw at your players. Uh, it's got a lower CR, I think, than a lot of the other Bone Nog, or the other Nagas. And so if you wanted to kind of introduce your players to Nagas, it would be a good place to start. It's just a, it's a great monster, especially if you're going to be using Yuntai. Like, I imagine after centuries of back and forth possibly being under the control of Nagas, I like the idea of a Yuntai pure blood riding on the back of a bone Naga. Not just because it's the sense of like it's a sweet mount, first of all, but like every moment that this pure blood Yuntai rides on the back of this bone Naga, it can remember and just be so pleased with itself with the destruction of this Naga. Especially I like this idea of being a guardian Naga, good Naga. Like, and it's just it's gaining just pleasure just from the fact that you're under my control now yes we killed you we stopped you from resurrecting and now you are mine yeah that that's that's actually kind of a, a very sad but almost very awesome image in my mind you know like you said guardian naga defeated and now it's this mount of this thing that hates it with just this unabashed sort of you know hatred the other Naga that we want to talk about just real quick because I don't think we can talk about Naga and leave this one out because it's so awesome and there's very little on this so we kind of just have to speculate on it ourselves but it's called a Naga Hydra and it's exactly what you would imagine. It's a five-headed abomination combining features of Nagas and Hydras. I saw an image of this somewhere and basically it's this, this huge snake with five different heads. And I did see this one image of it, which was really interesting. It took the Tiamat-like idea of the heads, and it gave each of the heads a different type of Naga. So you had, like, one head that was Guardian Naga, one head that was Dark Spirit, 
water. I'm not sure what the fifth one was, but man, it was such a cool image. And imagine coming across this thing as a player, especially if it still has that immortal aspect of it. A Naga Hydra is a scary, scary, scary thing to think about. Well, as if Hydra themselves yeah, were not, bad yeah, enough. Exactly. Now you have this fusion of you know, uh, Naga and Hydra together. That's terrifying because you can actually defeat a Hydra if you know what you're doing and it'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't defeat a Naga Hydra, even if you know what you're doing, because, you know, yeah, it's going to If, it, if come a Naga back. Hydra has that immortal aspect of it, this is the most terrifying like enemy that's going to keep coming back and coming back. And coming back. Well, yeah, and your characters, your player characters have probably never encountered something like this. So, you know, they might have fought a Hydra or two and they know that they have to damage it with fire in order to keep it down. But if you're fighting this Naga Hydra and you cut off a head, what happens? Now, I have a question for you, Ian. You're running a campaign and you introduce a Naga Hydra as this big bad that's just, I mean, it's there to be a big bad. My question is, does each of its heads have its own list of spellcasting abilities? I would say so. I would definitely give that because, you know, you've got, like you said, there's that one image where you've got the Guardian Naga. Yeah, if you go with that, idea, brilliant which is really cool. Really scary. <laughs> yeah, so if they're each a different type of head, I would definitely give them each uh, their own spell casting abilities. Maybe a little bit more limited, like the Bone Naga, because there are five, you're fighting five at once, sort of. Uh, but if it was if it was just all one type of head, I might not give them all a spell list. I might have the creature itself have a spell list and just cast off of that spell list. Maybe make it a little bit instead of, you know, a fifth level sorcerer or whatever it is, make it a ninth level sorcerer. It's definitely not going to be something your characters are going to fight day one. I like the idea of I'm just coming up with this right now, but like for homebrew worlds out there, if the Naga need a god to worship, like what if this Naga Hydra was not an actual creature, but like that was their god and you can have it just be the four heads of the basic Naga, dark spirit, water and guardian Naga heads. And I mean, if they each possess the traits of the Naga that they were based off of normally this would not be a creature that would do well in life because a, a spirit naga being next to a guardian naga being next to a water naga being next to a dark naga would not get along and probably just end up killing itself but in the god form it like represents all of naga kind and it would be really cool to have that be in your homebrew world like the naga god this naga hydra that represents all naga kind and just represents them as being the epitome of serpent kind in your world. Well, I think that's pretty cool. I, I would I would actually put the neutral head in between the two evil heads and the one good head because I think that would be <laughs> Hey, stop fighting. <laughs> because yeah. I'm actually really imagining Gollum going back and forth with himself at this point. You know, you've got the two evil heads over here, you've got the one good head over here, and you've got, you know, the 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 neutral head in the middle kind of guys, now come on. <laughs> and you know, that all that'd be really fun to role play as a DM. Would it? Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like would. a nightmare to me. <laughs> well, you know, especially if you're a fan of of Lord of the Rings and the movies, you you've got a precedent for somebody arguing with themselves. So you've got that going on for you. But yeah, I think it would be pretty cool. All right. I want to see that happen in a campaign of yours someday. All right, well, I'll, I'll try to work it in somehow. All right, well, the last thing we want to talk about is something we said we'd touch back on later, 
how do you permanently kill a naga? How do you destroy a naga and not let it come back? Now, we already mentioned that the Yuntai have developed this ritual that can stop that resurrection and bring back a bone naga. I'm not sure. It doesn't. This is flavor, so we're not sure if it actually uses um, the appropriate spell that your players would need to. But your players need a wish spell, which reminds us all of another powerful creature, the The (laughs) Tarrasque, that needs a wish spell to truly get rid of it. So in order to stop that spirit naga from coming after your players, they're going to have to seek out a wizard or a spell book with a wish spell or a scroll of a wish scroll, whatever it is, they need a wish spell or that thing's going to keep coming back after them. And depending on, you know, whether you're playing a low magic setting or standard or even a high fantasy setting, that's going to determine the availability of the wish spell. And that brings me back to the Naga Hydra. I mean, do you have to have a wish spell for each of the heads? Because yep. that would be that would be a tall order in some D&D worlds to have four wish spells just ready to go. <laughs> that would be crazy. That and that's how maybe that's how you defeat the Naga god. Like yeah. you literally need to defeat it all and use a wish spell. But if you don't do it in the right way, just like a Hydra, it should also grow two heads in its place if you don't use the appropriate types of attacks. And then you need more wish spells. So Yeah, all those wish spells you just burned. Yeah, do you have more? Because it's coming back. <laughs> yep. But yeah, a wish spell. And there are other creatures other than just the Naga and the Tarasque that require that. So it's 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 good to know that there's a precedent in there for a wish spell needing to 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 kill something. And the Naga, all of them are no exception. So that's all we have today for you as far as the Naga goes. But like we like to do with our Raw Real Monsters, we're going to present to you one of our homebrew monsters. And Ian, uh, this is your first Raw Real Monster, so it's your turn. You're up. What is the homebrew monster that you have to present to us today? Yeah, I I use these in a one-off campaign for our group here uh, when we we had a break and and they're called the Kavai. So in my world in the northern parts the northern like cold reaches there's this barbarian race called the Kava as both a monster race and as a playable character race that you can that you can choose in my world should you so desire. And if you were to take them they're kind of a fusion of like Klingon and the thing from <laughs> you know the Klingon from Star Trek the thing from the Fantastic Four, you smash them together. That's kind of what they are. Or even the Kunari. Klingon and Kunari is probably a better, uh, better thing. Kunari from uh, from uh, Dragon Age. And they are very tribal in the way that they operate. And I used these enemies in a one-shot campaign or one-shot encounter that I ran for our gaming group here. And uh, I am going to be introducing one type of enemy that I used for them. And mad props to Joe Maniac, a.k.a. DM Neil. He helped me out fleshing out this monster a little bit from 3.5 to 5e. And it's the Kavash Shield Brother. Uh, the Kavash Shield Brother is kind of like the entry-level infantry troop. If you come of age as a man or even as a woman in some, in some of the tribes, you're thrown into combat with nothing but a shield and a spear. If you survive... You get to graduate through the ranks. Uh, what makes the Kavash Shield Brother unique is that they they have this thing called Frenzied Skirmisher. And Neil had mentioned this, and I was trying to figure out a way to make them kind of that frenzied aspect where they're just all attacking one target kind of thing. And he came up with this idea to give them a shared health pool. And so they're not very beefy by themselves. They're a quarter CR creature, but they have 11 hit points. And when you get more than one-on-one target, you start to get this stacking health pool that can kind of overwhelm even high-level characters if they're not careful. And I think that 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 makes them really cool in terms of 
how they operate. One-on-one, your characters are going to decimate them every time. But when you start to get a four or five or six-on-one, it's a completely different story. So if you if you ever want to use the Kava in your world, I'm going to post a couple of different types of Kava that I've generated, including the Shield Brother, on our Patreon page. And if you want to use them, like I said, I, I'll put both uh, some of the creatures that I've generated and the racial profile on our Patreon page for you to, to use in your world if you want. Uh, some story hooks that you could use for them. They're, they're great at raiding parties. They're very much like the Vikings. Uh, you could, you know, they take over a town. They uh, are sacking your your coastlines or whatever, and you've got to go and stamp out these these Kavad, the Shield Brother being probably the most prominent unit that you're going to run into. Well, that's all we have for you today on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you have enjoyed our discussion both on the Naga and our little discussion on homebrewed creature of the Kava at the end. Thanks to DM Ian. Ian, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, if they'd like to write us an email, perhaps, where can they reach us at? So you can reach us via email at Dungeon Master Block. That's Dungeon Master with no S block at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on iTunes with a review. Five stars is great because that gets our uh, visibility up. And if you give us a five-star review, we will mention you on the air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places are going to let you know when episodes drop, when new episodes drop, and also give you updates about the show. We have a Patreon member of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Dylan James Halbert. Thank you so much, Dylan. Dylan is a awesome silver dragon. So thank you so much, Dylan, for your support of us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. So the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out other shows like The GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. And that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. This is Dungeon Master Ian saying we'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Dylan is a silver dragon. Look at those beautiful scales covering Dylan's body. Awesome. That it's sounded going to weird. Be a myth. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to go for the Naga thing. Nope, we're taking that out. Goodbye.